Uh, my lesson, it's probably going to be more of a Bible study type thing, not too preachy or treachy or anything else, just good solid word, which is what we, if we don't have that, we don't have anything else, amen? But uh, this is something, and this doesn't happen that often to me. A lot of times God speaks to me through different avenues on what to teach or preach or whatever, but what, what I've got today is something that came from just my personal reading, where I'm at in my reading. I jump around quite a bit, which that you can take that as either bad or good, but I have different interests that catch me from time to time, so I explore the prophets at one point and go different places, but I'm reading the book of Jeremiah currently, and something leapt out at me a few weeks ago when, when I was reading, and God spoke to me some words, and I, I thought, boy, this put together just a great lesson, so that's what we're going to go with today. So if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, we're going to go to the 13th chapter. Like I said, a lengthy reading, so you can remain seated. I'll be reading out of the New King James. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7 here at the beginning. It says, Thus the Lord said to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, of course, said, Go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the Lord, or sorry, and the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, the Euphrates River, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went, obeying the word of the Lord, as he should, went and hid it by the Euphrates River, as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, make another trip, and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And this is the part I want to focus on. It says, And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. And for the remainder of our time today, I'm going to talk about a useless belt. A useless belt. And this is an interesting passage that we happen upon here in the book of Jeremiah in the 13th chapter. See, Jeremiah is going about his business profiting. I don't know if that's a verb, but it now is profiting. When God speaks to him and he commands him to buy a belt. This says sash, the King James Version calls it a cloth, I believe, and other, and other versions call it a loincloth. But for all intents and purposes, the word that's used here, the Hebrew word, means belt. It's one of the direct translations of it. He commands him to buy a belt. King James Version calls it a girdle. I apologize. So Jeremiah follows the command of the Lord, and he buys this belt. He goes and purchases this belt that he's been commanded to get. And he follows the command and does not dip it in any water, as God commands him to. Then the Lord tells Jeremiah to go to a specific place, the Euphrates River, and he is to bury this belt in a hole in a rock and, you know, by this time when I'm reading it, I've got quite a few questions. And I'm sure Jeremiah had a few questions. I know he was probably a little more in tune than most of us are, but I'm sure he had a few questions himself. He's, you know, he's thinking, Lord, you know, you just sent me down to the Ross, and I spent 20 bucks to buy this belt, and now you're wanting me to go bury this thing in a rock? I mean, that, that's just me thinking about it, you know. You had me do all this work, and now you just want me to go bury this thing? Why in the world would God command me to bury a belt that I was told to wear. So now he wants me to take it off and bury it. 
But as with so many things that God had his prophets do, and Jeremiah is no exception in the Old Testament, there was an object lesson for Jeremiah to learn and also for the people of Israel and also for the church of the living God today. Because this somewhat obscure passage that we come across here in the 13th chapter, I believe it is nothing more than a solemn warning of what happens when we do not care for and maintain this precious truth that we have been given by our forefathers and that has been revealed to us by our own Heavenly Father. And when I, re- when I remembered that today was Pentecost Sunday, I thought, well, great, something that goes in line with our heritage and everything else because I totally, I just can't believe it's already Pentecost Sunday. That was in my thinking. I can't believe it's already past Easter and all that good stuff. But it goes, goes in line with that heritage. But just like today, the people of God, were, they were a peculiar people. They were monotheistic in a polytheistic world. They believed in one God when most other civilizations around believed in multiple or many gods. And they observed certain customs that other peoples around them did not practice. And their lifestyles were very different from the other cultures of the peoples that surrounded them. And why was this? Well, the answer is simple. It was because of the truth that was given to them by Jehovah and passed from generation to generation to generation. You see, the bedrock is laid firmly in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. We know this very clearly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. This is important, children of Israel. This is important, people of God. There is one God, and we are to serve Him with everything that we have. God said that they were to teach this diligently to their children. And I certainly hope all the parents in here are teaching this diligently to their children. That tells me that there was priority given to this. There is priority on this teaching. God gets to it very quickly in His Word. You know, we're just a few books in, so it must be pretty important. Other cultures and civilizations of that time that we're talking about this writing, they had starkly different foundations of their cultures. Very different. Some were warring nations. Everything was about learning the art of war, and that that type of lifestyle and that type of psyche was hammered in to their children from a very young age. And some made sure their people were well-versed in farming and this nomadic lifestyle. They learned that from childhood. And some even made sure that their children were knowledgeable in the pagan religions that they practiced. They made sure that their children were taken care of, and they made sure that their children were well-versed in what their identity was. So God says, we're not going to be any different than them. We're going to make sure that our children are well-versed in what we identify with, and that's that there is one God. It's okay. Do we agree that there's one God and we are to serve Him with everything that we have? That is what is important in the Israelite culture. When you get those two things down, Israel, when you know that there's only one God and when you serve Him with all your heart, when you get those two things down, everything else, those other 640 some odd laws that are in the Levitical law, all of those are so much easier to live by Israel. Everything's easier when you get the basics down. When the church 
When us, when we, the church, when we get those two things down, when we understand that there's one God and his name is Jesus and that we need to serve him with our whole hearts, things are going to be a lot better. There's going to be the perfect atmosphere and there's going to be the perfect climate for God to lead us, heal us, and to even do the miraculous in our services. If you believe that, clap your hands. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe that is what we need. We have been given a precious truth when there are many false truths out there. Many wrong ways, but there's only one way. That's what the early church was called. They were called the way, not the ways, but the way. There's only one way to salvation. There is only one God. His name is Jesus Christ, and we must serve Him with everything that we have. Another familiar scripture, Proverbs 23 and 23, reads like this, By the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. You see, the author here, he makes it abundantly clear. When you find the truth, don't get rid of it. Do not sell it. Do not surrender it. But not only the truth. Make sure you also hold on to these other things. Make sure you hold on to wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Because they're all a package deal. You see, when we find the truth and we are committed to it, when we treasure it, when we guard it, and when we contend for it, like it says in the book of Jude in the third verse, when we contend for the faith and we fight for it, when we study it earnestly, there will be wisdom given to us from God. He will use the truth of His Word to instruct us. And perhaps the, the greatest part of this, you will begin to have a genuine understanding of his word so when you find the truth and you decide this is too precious to get rid of and you invest in it not only will you know the truth but you're going to gain wisdom you're going to be instructed by the word and you will have a firm understanding of what the word is teaching you because this truth it is very precious it is powerful it is worth fighting for amen it is so worth fighting for it will give you clarity in your life and it will guide you through difficult decisions can i get a witness on that it will guide you through everything you need to it will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path it is a treasure to have the word of god in your life praise god it is such a treasure jesus he even tells his disciples in matthew 13 and 44 he says again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure it is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. In this familiar short parable, Jesus tells his disciples, he this is to his disciples exclusively. These are the people that have followed him from the very beginning. A lot, the other parables leading up to this in the book of Matthew, he had told with a throng around him. But this is specifically to the disciples, his people. People that believe in him. So this is important. This is for us. We're his disciples as well. He tells them that the truth, the kingdom of heaven, the truth of who he is, the truth of everything, is like a hidden treasure. And when it is found, it is worth losing everything over. Because that's what the man did. He sold all that he had. He lost it all to get this treasure. Jesus 
And I feel like when I'm reading it, I almost skip over this. And so I, it might not just be me. It could be. But I feel like Jesus almost is passingly mentioning this. But he says that the man sells everything he has and he does it out of joy. Because when I'm reading it, I read it like this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found a hit. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells everything. That he, I mean, that's how I kind of have read it my entire life. I skipped over he did it for joy. Like he, It's so easy to read right over that. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and hid. And because he is so happy... That he found that treasure. He is ecstatic over this truth that he's found. He's excited over this revelation that he's found. He's so happy about it. He realizes that he has found exactly what it is that he's been looking for. And out of pure joy over this matter, he goes and he sells everything that he has. Everything that he was invested in. It doesn't matter anymore because he's found the treasure that he was looking for. When you have God's truth, you have everything that you need. You have everything that you need when you have the truth. Things break. Praise God. Items become old and they lose their worth. Moth and dust doth corrupt. But even, and even people you look up to, they will eventually let you down. And you know what? Someday, if the Lord doesn't come back, we're all going to die as well. So we all wither and fade away. But God said that His Word, His truth, that treasure, it will never, by all means, it will never pass away. It is forever settled in heaven. Praise God. And when I'm, when I'm reading the Bible, I, I can't help it. I always seem to find myself thinking about parallel passages of Scripture. My brain's going 90 miles an hour when I'm reading. And it, it gets aggravating sometimes, I'll be honest that go with what I'm currently reading. It's like, I'm trying to focus on this right here. I don't want to be jumping around all these other things. But that seems to happen sometimes. Or I'll be thinking of other instances in Scripture that, you know, they validate. The Word of God validates itself. It backs itself up. You know, and I'll be reading some. It's like, well, that's in line with exactly what it says and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's great. I love reading stuff like that that speaks for itself and backs itself up. And when I first came across this passage in Jeremiah 13. When I read it, first of all, I was struck by it because I, I just honestly do not believe I've ever seen that before. I don't believe I've ever heard it preached on. I've never really heard it talked about. It's kind of one of those things that's lost in the middle, I guess, you know, just in your yearly reading. But another passage immediately came to my mind, and I know this one's way more familiar, and it's in the book of Ephesians. It's Paul talking to the church in Ephesus in chapter 6, verse 14. He says, we're just taking a snippet of it. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And you see, when I was young, not too many years ago, I remember the wording of this scripture. And this is the New King James, so it's, it's a little bit better than the Elizabethan English of the time. But I remember the wording of this scripture. It gave me a little bit of trouble in my nine-year-old mind or however old I was. And, you know, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, what does it mean to gird your waist? What does that mean? And I mean, how many people would honestly know what to do if they were transported back to that time and somebody walked and said, gird your waist? I don't know. I honestly don't know what to do. I wouldn't understand it. And you probably wouldn't understand it either. So what, what does that mean? And people 
do not talk that way anymore. And if you do, you might need to see some counseling if you do talk in that way anymore. But, but thanks, as in so many things in the 90s, thanks to a low-budget VHS series. Remember those things? You know, cassette, video cassettes. Uh, series production. It, it was Christian. It was called Bible Man. Has anybody ever heard of that? Oh, I got a few hands. Well, yeah, because you heard about it this morning. But anyway, this is what I entertained myself with as a kid. But thanks to this, I learned exactly what this meant. And I still, honestly, if pastor or somebody else is up here preaching, and I hear them talking about the whole armor of God, I think of this corny VHS series from the 90s. It's what I think of. And, you know, as with any superhero, I use that term loosely, Bible man had a costume. But anyway, no, it wasn't a giant Bible, if any of you are thinking that. But he had, he had a costume that he wore. And it was cleverly called the armor of God, or cornerly called the, the armor of God. But that's what he wore. And when the smoke was filling the Bible cave, and no joke, that's what it was called, the Bible cave, his alter ego, you know, you know, other superheroes have the alter ego, his alter ego was called Miles Peterson. He, while he was becoming Bible man, an overdubbed voice, you know, the deep voice, would announce each piece of the costume that was miraculously latching itself to him. And I remember this when it reached this passage of Scripture right here. I mean, it didn't quote it directly, but this, this is what it called it. It said, the waist belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, all joking aside, I do not believe Paul listed this Scripture because he's just starting to list the whole armor of God here. In Ephesians 6 and 14. It says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. That's number one. And I don't think this was by mistake. You see, I think Paul knew, as anybody would know, especially Paul, he knew that if we didn't have the belt of truth firmly fastened around us, that it's not going to do us any good to have the rest of that armor on. It's not going to do us any good because, you see, we can't wear the breastplate of righteousness if we don't first have the truth. Because how are we going to learn what true righteousness is without the truth of God's Word? Because the Bible says that our righteousness is filthy rags. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be going into any battle, spiritual or mortal battle, with filthy rags over me protecting me. Amen? Anybody else want to live on the edge and take that chance with me? I don't want to do that. And you know what? I can't wear the helmet of salvation either if I first don't know where my salvation comes from. The truth will tell you where your salvation comes from. And I can't have shoes of peace, as it were, unless I know where my peace comes from. And I can't carry the sword of the Spirit Unless I have something to put its scabbard onto. It all hinges around the truth. You see, the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, is supported. It's held up. It's carried by His Word. It's His very breath. That's where the power is. It's in His Word. And His Word is truth. So if we don't have the truth, we don't have anything. We've got nothing to hang His Word on. We've got nothing to divide up this armor. We've got nothing to know what kind of materials we need in this armor. We've got nothing if we don't have the truth. So we must be very, very 
careful with this truth. We must not allow it to become weak. You see, God told Jeremiah, he told him a couple things. He told him to make very sure that the belt that he purchased did not touch water. And there's no deep theological mystery here that I'm getting ready to reveal to you, so you'll have to wait till second service for that. But just maybe we could learn something that, like this, you know, we don't need to water down the truth. I know. Blow your mind stuff there. We don't need to water down the truth. And you see, the only reason that the apostolic Pentecostal message has made it this far, it's made it to this day in 2018, is because the truth has not been changed at all. It has not been watered down. The only reason that over 3,000 people received the Holy Ghost some 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday is because Peter didn't want to water down the truth that he held near and dear to his heart and that he girded himself with. That's what it all hinged upon was that truth that Peter had because on that rock, that revelation is what this church is built on. So we better be sure that we have that right. We must be sure. The reason the people are, that are also still receiving the Holy Ghost in droves today, I mean, every time we have a district conference or general conference or anything where we hear from our general superintendent, we hear that people are receiving the Holy Ghost at a faster rate than they ever have before. And how is that happening? It's because the truth is being spread, unpolluted, unwatered down. It is in its purest form. The truth is being shared, and lives are being forever changed by that truth. It works. It still works today. The truth of God's Word. Repent and be baptized in His name and receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It works. It still works. Praise God. And we cannot afford to change the truth or else it is going to lose its power. You see, God decides to show Jeremiah exactly what's going to happen if the belt becomes exposed to the elements, if we expose it and don't guard it, if we water it down, if you will, if it's not cared for, if the instructions in the Word are not followed. Here's what's going to happen back in chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. He said, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash or the belt from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the belt, and the belt was ruined, and it was profitable for nothing. Useless, a useless belt. God told Jeremiah to take the belt to the Euphrates River. And this is important. You see, the Euphrates River was not in Israel. It wasn't in Judah. It was in Babylon. And any time that we see Babylon referenced in the Scriptures, it is either referring to the actual Babylonian or after that the Babylonian Chaldean empires of that time or it, to a greater extent, it can refer to the world. Just like Egypt refers to sin, Babylon can refer to the world. And if you want to take it one step further, worldliness 
as a whole. Anything that's not of God, you know, you either have godly or you have secular. That's everything else. Might not necessarily be bad, but it's not necessarily godly either. So it, it encompasses that worldliness, that not in line with the word of God. That's where God had Jeremiah take his belt that he had purchased. Take it there, he said. And as we know through reading, he buries that belt in Babylon by the river Euphrates. And to go along with our little object lesson we have running through there, he buries the truth in the world near a river. And what runs in a river? Water. So God tells Jeremiah, all right, it's time to go back. It's time to go retrieve this belt. It's time to go see if you can find it again. It's time to see what happened to it. So Jeremiah returns and he retrieves the belt from the spot that he buried it in Babylon near water. And Jeremiah's words, I mean, I feel the weight of them as I read them. His words are enough. I can't paraphrase it any better. He says, and there was the belt, there was the sash, the girdle, whatever you want to call it. There it was, ruined. What a letdown. What a weight of that matter. Been given the truth, the belt of truth. And what did we do with it? We've taken it to the world and haven't put it on display for the world to see the truth in action. No, we've buried it in the seat of power of the world. And we've allowed it to become marred and to become wet and to become ruined and profitable for nothing. What good is that belt if it's ruined? What good is the truth if it's profitable for nothing? What good is the Word of God if it's not good for correction or all those other things that it's mentioned in the Bible? What good is it if it's lost its power, if it's lost its usefulness? What good is the belt? How disappointing it must have been. That precious belt that you had, that you bought, that you held precious to you, it has now become soiled and useless. But not only does this belt matter to us, because it's important to us, it's our only hope to make heaven our home, the truth. But you see, this belt also matters to God. It matters to Jesus Christ. Because you see, it is with this belt of truth that not only do we have our protection, but it is what holds us to Him. It is what ties us to Him. It's His truth. When we follow this truth, the truth in His Word, it will hold us to Him. It will cling us to Him. Because you see, God tells this very thing to Jeremiah in verses 8 through 11. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Why? This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their own hearts, and they walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them. They shall be just like this sash. They will be just like this belt which is profitable for nothing. For as the belt, the sash, it clings to the waist of a man, 
So I have caused the whole house of Israel, my people, which I have called, which I have purchased like that belt, which I have caused them to cling to me with this truth, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. Oh, I had such great plans for them, but they would not hear me. My God, help us, Lord. If we ever begin to follow the dictates of our own hearts, if we listen to this thing, what does the Bible say? It's wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know what you're looking for. And if we begin to follow after and worship other gods, now I know you don't have that shrine set up in your house, but if we begin to let things get in the way and we let things take precedence over being here and listening to the Word of God and reading this Word... And we begin praying for things that are outside of the Word of God. Hear me. You are fashioning an idol. And you're saying, I will take this life and this idol that I've built with my ideas and the dictates of my own heart. I'll take that over what God has for me in this path over here. So don't be so careful to excuse yourself from that part. Because we all might have a few idols in our lives. And if we do that, if we fall into that trap, if we go down that slippery slope, whatever cliche you want to use, we will be just as that belt as a people and as a church. We will be profitable for nothing. We will be useless. We'll be just another social club. We'll just be gathering here and having the lights on and paying bills to keep this place going. That's all it's going to be worth. Just a feel-good time with good music. God says that as the belt clings to the waist of a man, that he has caused his people to cling to him. But I tell you, the only way that we're going to cling to him as we stand, the only way that we're going to cling to God, the only way that we're going to be known by him, the only way that we're going to be close to him, because when you cling to something, you've got it close, right? It's not distant. The only way we can cling to Him is if we're holding on to the same thing He's holding on to. And that's the truth. It is His truth. It's His Word that everything is created by. I remember just, just this week, I stood in awe when we were in Florida. And I remember looking out over that expanse of water and sand and just God's beautiful creation. And I told my wife, I said... To think, at the beginning of time, however many thousands of years ago it was, to think, just like it says in the book of Genesis, the earth was without form and it was void. Nothing was happening. It was just dark. It was nothingness. And God said, and everything changed. Light popped into the sky. That water that we take for granted was there. Those beaches appeared. All the beautiful things that we behold with our eyes came with just His Word. That is the power of the truth of His Word. That it speaks things into existence. It calls things for as they are and not as they seem at present. We must cling to the Word. The only way that we're going to cling to God is if we have His truth. And if we cling to Him, just like the Scripture says, we 
will be His people. And when we have this truth and we gird ourselves with it, we will go out and we will do exploits because we will wear the armor of God and we will be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ and we will bring Him renown and we will bring Him praise and through our exploits we will bring Him and Him alone glory. That's what it's all about. That's what I'm concerned about. Not about me, but I'm concerned about advancing this kingdom and bringing Jesus Christ glory. Would you lift your hands? Lord, let me cherish your truth, God. Lord, let me guard it. Let me protect it, Jesus. Let me gird myself with it, God. Because if I don't have your truth, Jesus, I don't have anything else, God. I can't fight for what I need to fight for. I can't withstand what Satan is throwing at me, what the world is throwing at me, God. So let me be gird about with your truth, God. Let me cherish it. Let me fight for it, Jesus. Lord, let it be revealed in an even greater way to me, God. Lord, I ask you to have your way in this service today, Lord. Let us have that Pentecostal fire again in this place today. Let that rushing mighty wind fill this place once again, Jesus. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.